One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison for a World Cup special edition of the show. We'll discuss all of the runners and runners, or most of them anyway, as England look to retain their title. And ESPN Crick Info assistant editor Matt Roller joins us live from one of my favourite places in India, Ahmedabad, to discuss how teams are preparing for the tournament amidst the rain and also discuss his new book, White Hot, the inside story of England's double world champions. And we'll also hear exclusively from New Zealand captain Kane Williamson and Netherlands all-rounder Logan van Beek and cricket broadcaster Mark Mikado looks at Sri Lanka's hopes. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. So England, like many other teams, have had their preparation disrupted. I'm not sure how much of a disruption the rain will be, Harmy. I mean, I'm sure that they would have liked to have had a, a run out and bowl a few overs, but much in the way that it's nice to have a walk after a big Sunday lunch. If that gets rained out, it's not the end of the world. I think they're pretty much fine-tuned now, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think they're ready to to hit. I think the experience of the team as well, I think they're ready to hit the games uh, head-on. I think if they were a younger side, they probably would have liked a game against India just to see where they're at. But and, and you look at this, especially the batting unit. I think the youngest, Liam Livingston's 30. So when you when you look at the... And the, they used to play in India as well, quite a few of them. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I think... If England had played India, I think it would have been there would have been a lot of eyes on it, a lot of talk, depending on it which way it went. So I don't think it's a bad thing that England didn't play India. With the the rain around, you look at the makeup of the England side. I was looking at you look at potentially having two or three spinners in there, but if there is a rain around early in the, in the competition, does that put Mo and Ali's place sort of in, in a little bit of jeopardy because England might have to go for the extra seam and so. I think all in all, I think there would have been a lot more questions um, than answers after the India game because of the two sides going head-to-head. I think England quite like going straight into competition rather than have warm games now. So, test side don't like doing it. Their side don't like doing it. I think it was good for everybody that we did had a little bit of rain and now the tournament starts properly. One, I think, if India don't win it, I think England have got a great chance. Well, let's ask a man who's considerably closer to the action than either of us at the moment. Matt, what do you make of Harmy's comments? Yeah, I, I very much agree. I think England will not be too bothered at all about that that game being washed out. I think pretty much as soon as that, that game and Lords finished, England were, were ready to go after beating New Zealand 3-1. They grew into that series. You could see them sort of 
finding their, their tempo and their rhythm in this format, which obviously they've not played much of in the last four years, and, and particularly the, you know, the big boys, the World Cup squad, haven't played much of it. People like Joe Root, Ben Stokes, it's going to take them a little bit of time to get, get used to this um, this tournament. But just, just to touch on what Harmony was saying about conditions, I think that's going to be a, a massive variable throughout the competition. I mean, England's schedule is arguably the hardest of any teams in terms of the fact they play in eight different cities. There's an internal flight after every game. Uh, they've obviously picked a lot of seam bowlers in the squad, basically to sort of mitigate against that, because you know how hard it can be for a uh, a fast bowler the day after a, a, a tough game bowling ten overs in the heat um, to then cramp into a, a a tight seat in economy class somewhere. But yeah, just to look at their first two games, they play um, New Zealand and Ahmedabad, where it's about thirty five degrees in the middle of the day at the moment, and then their second game is up in Dharamsala, fifteen hundred meters above sea level, where it's going to be about twenty degrees cooler. So. Obviously, we, we sort of associate India with spin, don't we? But it's not necessarily going to be the case. Um, and I think venues will, will play a massive part in this tournament for all teams, but particularly for England, just because of the variety that they play at. Matt, it's always intimidating asking someone to talk about their book in a sort of three or four minute section. <laughs> we do have a little bit longer than that. But, you know, you've got hundreds of pages. You and your co-author, Tim Wigmore, have charted England's progress from 2015 to 2019 and that massive, massive transition. How much have they stuck to the blueprint? I mean, is Gus Atkinson there to replicate what Liam Plunkett did in the middle overs? I mean, look, and and they do have a lot of the same personnel that they've had on this four-year journey. Have that Has that blueprint changed or, or, or are they trying to stick to it as much as possible? Look, I think I, I found it really interesting, actually, during that New Zealand series, listening to, to Josh Butler talking about how he wanted his team to play through the course of that series. I think that first game... In Cardiff, they posted, I think, 280, 290, a sort of slight, probably what looked about a pass score and got hammered. And then over the course of that series, Butler really made a point of hammering home. I want I want us always to fall on the aggressive side. And if you look back to, to last year's T20 World Cup, which we chart in the book as well, and sort of the transition from Trevor Bayliss and Owen Morgan, but then Chris Silverwood and Owen Morgan to uh, Matthew Mott and Just Butler, that, that's been a, a sort of, I suppose, a consistent, but also a, a slight, um, something that Butler has occasionally had to remind his players of is, I think they're no longer at the stage which they were in maybe 2015, 2016, where there needed to be such a big mindset shift that they always went really hard, regardless of the situation. And sometimes that that led to their downfall. I think they're at a pretty different stage in the cycle now. That there are times where they're going to rein it in and the times where they're going to get the job done in a sort of ugly way. Um, but if you look back to that T20 World Cup last year, Butler gave them a real hammering after that defeat to Ireland in the dressing room. He sort of sat down. Um, we spoke to Mark Wood for the book, who, who was very good on sort of how bloodshot his eyes were. And that's that's always the key tell, apparently, for Butler is if his eyes go red, then, you know, you're in some serious trouble. So he sort of basically tried to remind them over the course of the next four games that, um, you know, you don't get the opportunity to play many World Cups in your career. And if you do, you want to do it in a way where... You want people to remember how you played in those World Cups. And and his message was very much that throughout the tournament was, um, if we're going to get eliminated from this World Cup, then fine, that'll be because someone was better than us on the day, but it's going to be us playing the way we want to play, not looking back and regretting how we played. And I think that that's that's something that he's presumably going to try and drum home over the next few weeks is much as everyone is is trying to find that that rhythm that tempo again of 50 over cricket having having predominantly played t20 cricket and 100 ball cricket uh there's still a, a recognition that england's uh strength and england's success is going to be based on the fact that they have a really really powerful uh strong batting lineup one of the strongest batting lineups in the competition uh, and that's the that's the key thing for them that 
it, it ha- has been such a hallmark of their success over the last eight years. Matt, I'm, I'm intrigued about the research you've done for this book because uh, obviously the great journey England have been on. For me, the, one of the huge keys is Josh with a captaincy, also batting in that middle order, but his ability to lead, yeah, we've seen it in Australia. Like you say, there was times where it, it, he sort of flipped it over and he, he had to go with a, a heavy hand. But during during the sort of his tenureship, the early part of it, there was a change. There seemed to be a little bit of a shift in change. When you did that research, was it around the time, because we had it on TalkSport too, the trip to Holland, where he it looked as though that's when he really grasped his side. Because for about three months before that, when he got the job, it looked as though he, it not so much he didn't, he didn't feel as though he deserved the job or didn't want the job. It was just the character of Joss Butler. It didn't feel as though he believed in the job. He does now. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point on the trip to Holland. Obviously, you know, Morgan sort of started that tour as captain, but um, we spoke to Matthew Mott, who was saying that he sort of had this inkling in the back of his mind through the interview process that Morgan might actually step down at some point because he kept on asking him questions about what does this look like once I'm gone? How do you see yourself as a coach when a new leader comes in? What would you do? And asking all these sort of little prompts that made him think that was going to happen soon. Um, for me, I think even though it was a tour he didn't actually play a game in, I think a massive moment for for Butler's leadership was the the T20 series in Pakistan last year, just before the T20 World Cup. He was never really likely to play in that series because of his, he, I think he did his calf during the 100. But um, the fact that he sort of, he, he took it upon himself to go on that tour, obviously it was quite a... Uh, high security tour it was in bubbles he was away from his family he could easily have opted out of at least half of that tour but I think he made a clear point to say I'm going to be around this squad and sort of try and have those individual chats that were so much harder during during the summer because as you say he was sort of thrown into the job he, he you know he'd obviously had this long period of being vice captain but didn't really feel quite ready I think whereas then I think in Pakistan I, I feel like that was when he came into his own and you know, Mott said the same. That was when it started to feel like their team rather than they'd inherited someone else's team that they were sort of trying desperately to to cling on to. But yeah, I, th- I think but- Butler's clearly a different leader to Morgan. I think he, he's, there are times, for example, where I think he's a bit more sort of instinctive and gut feel, whereas Morgan was probably slightly more numbers driven. I, I also think he's, he's very sort of calculated with his message. I think something I've picked up on in a couple of interviews he's done recently where people have asked him about England defending their title. He's made a very big point of saying, no, no, we're not defending anything. You know, the 2019 World Cup is done. We're going to India. We start on zero points, just the same as every other team. And we're going there to win a World Cup. It's it's something in in itself. I think that's a really sort of an interesting message. And and also, uh, you know, uh, yeah, probably a good sign of good leadership to to say we can't rest on our laurels. We can't think because we're world champions. This is going to be easy. It's going to be a it's going to be a pretty grueling six weeks out here. And uh, that they obviously have have big ambitions, but it, it all resets again. Matt, we know what's happening on the field because we can see it. Um, we can see tactics and approach and count numbers and boundaries and and that kind of thing. I, what I'm really interested in is the how important the character of the man is to Joss Butler and to the whole squad. You write about in the book about uh, how that this current squad mostly. At the same age, similar age, born between 1989 and 1991. And obviously Owen Morgan had his issue with Alex Hales and spoke a lot about the the, the character of the personality and, and the man and, you know, what's inside rather than outside. Is that still part of Joss Butler's approach? Has he inherited that? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think um, 
the thing that springs to mind is the fact that Butler has has managed throughout um, his his leadership so far to be to sort of remove emotion from a lot of difficult decisions. So the best example of that from my side would be the decision to leave Jason Moore out of the squad. We know that they're they're close friends, and they're similar age. They've played a lot of cricket together over the past what eight years. And yet for the for the second time in as many years, he's had to make that call to Roy and say, sorry, mate, not not this time. And um it was a particularly brutal one this year. I think there's there's every chance Roy's played his his last game for England. Obviously, he could, you know, could springboard into the World Cup out of nowhere if there's a couple of injuries in the top order. But um I think there's every chance he's he's done. And Butler would have known that when he was making that call. So I think there's I think there's clearly a, an emotional side to Butler, and I think clearly there's part of the the challenge in this this squad will be making sure that the 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 three younger guys, because there's you know I think Reese Topley's the fourth youngest guy in the squad, and there's 29, and other than that, it's Brooke Curran and Gus Atkinson who are 24, 25, making sure that they're sort of involved in parts of it, but also I suppose that that's that that. Um, you know, we call them a golden generation of, of England players that you mentioned, the Root Stokes, Butler, Bairstow, uh, who, who have all played together for, for such a long period of time. I suppose that is quite an easy group to manage consider- comparatively to um, to some situations you might find yourself in. And, and obviously, um, I suppose, yeah, Butler also managed that reintegration of Hales pretty well last year, I think. I, I think it was always clear that it was going to be a short-term thing. And yeah, so it proves. And Matt, what do you expect England's first 11 to be? Any surprises? That's a good question. I think uh, conditions will probably dictate a lot of it. I wouldn't be too shocked if they went with four seamers in the first game, and that would obviously mean leaving out most likely Mo and Ali, as you suggest. Um, as for who the, the last seamer is, I, I think Topley had a really good series against New Zealand, so I could see him squeezing into it. But I think I think compared to the last World Cup as well, and this is a bit of me sitting on the fence, but I think compared to the last World Cup, they're going to have to manage the squad and rotate a lot more. I think if you... Remember back to 2019, they only used 13 players in the whole tournament. Tom Curran and Liam Dawson ran the drinks for the whole thing. And James Vince only came in as an injury replacement for Jason Roy, whereas I think we'll see a, a level of rotation through it. So, yeah, I think I think Brooke is the spare batter. I think the, the, the basically the tough call is whether to go with Moen as the, the third spinner or whether you go for the extra seamer in probably either Willie or Topley um, to complement Wood, Wokes, Curran, but... Then again, it's a long tournament. If there's any kind of doubt over anyone's fitness, they might might not take a chance in game one. Delighted to say that uh, we're joined by our special guest, Matt Roller, assistant editor from ESPN Crick Info, and he's uh, going to stay with us from his hotel room in Ahmedabad for part two. We'll be talking about India, Pakistan, and uh, we'll also find out what Matt's prediction for the semi-finalists is. The last three World Cups, Matt, have been won by the, by the host nation. Do you see that? Continuing, it's been a really interesting build-up for India. I mean, they looked a bit flat to me a couple of months ago, and um, and they uh, seemed to get it all together in the Asia Cup. Well, <laughs> not all together, but it yeah. came it came good, didn't it? In, in um, those three games against uh, Australia, and suddenly, I thought Rohit Sharma might be a little bit over the hill, to be honest, and he's scoring runs again. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think they're they're rightly favourites for this tournament. I think that the big question, as it has been for, for most ICC events over the past decade now, is whether they can handle the, the pressure of knockout games. I think it's, it's very difficult to foresee India getting knocked out of the group stage just with how this World Cup works. I think um, you know they'll probably need to win six and lose three would probably get them through and, and that would be a pretty good um, 
a pretty good effort, all told. So um, I, I, I'm pretty sure they'll get to the semi-finals, and then the question is, yeah, whether they can whether they can perform in the pressure of a knockout game in a way that they sort of haven't managed to in in recent years. I think particularly, you know, look, looking back at that T20 World Cup semi-final against England in Adelaide last year, where they the top order played within themselves and ended up getting 170, which was nowhere near enough on an unbelievably good batting pitch. That feels like the big question for me is, can those guys withstand the pressure of knowing that they're that they're representing a nation of people who live and breathe the game and are so desperate for them to to end their drought? But yeah, I think there, there was a game in the Asia Cup against Pakistan, wasn't there, where they ended up getting about 370. You know, Gil and Rohit were in the runs, Virat was in the runs, then Ayer and KL Rahul and Kishan and all these players started coming in in the middle order and you thought, wow, this is this is a serious side. Um, and that's before you even start talking about Siraj and Boomer and Kuldeep Yadav, who looks like he's back. So, yeah, I think they're, they're definitely favourites, but um, it's a tough ask when you're representing such a big nation that cares just so much. Yeah, you look at the the Indian squad, it's an embarrassment of riches from 1 to 15, trying to get them into 11. But a big boost is Jasper Boomer. He could be the, the man who finishes that squad off. To potentially, you talk about the knockout stages, when you need something X-Factor special at the end of a gear, he is probably the one that you'd, you'd look at. But when you look at that India squad, it is a, a ridiculously talented squad. But neither the bowlers can bat or the batters can bowl. They look <laughs> as though they are. They look as though it's it's over to you sort of thing from a job point of view. Could that hamper them later on with that extra sort of 10, 15 runs? Especially if there's a bit of rain around and they lose a couple of power player wickets because if... All of a sudden, the power play, they're 20 for two. Their depth of their batting is not that strong. So could that be something of a weakness, the only weakness that India have got? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the key player, therefore, is arguably is Hardik Pandya because his fitness record over the past however many years hasn't always been stellar. But if they can get to a point where he's bowling at his best, bowling high 80s mile an hour, swinging the ball, nipping it around off the seam, and as a genuine frontline bowling option and they look a much better balanced side than than without. I think, um, you know, we're at this point where there's every child, Shardul Takur will get the nod over one of the seamers, maybe Mohamed Shami, maybe Mohamed Siraj. And that's as much as anything because of the fact that he can contribute a few runs from number eight in a way that the others can't. So I think it definitely is an issue and has become an issue for for India in, in one day cricket over the past few years. And I don't think it's it's going anywhere either because we've got this impact player rule now at the IPL, which makes it even harder to to generate or to create, to give opportunities to Indian all-rounders. So I, I feel like it's a it, it is a long-term issue, but Hardik is the the potential solution and is such a box office player on his day that who knows, maybe it's maybe it's his time to step up in a semi-final. One of those games against Australia, I think Kuldeep Yadav batted at number eight and I was concerned about him developing a nosebleed that high. And it's a problem that South Africa have as well. Um, You know, that also could count against them, the lack of all-rounders. Let's talk Pakistan, though, because for a while there, it looked like uh, they were going to have three or even four fast bowlers able to to touch 90 miles an hour. But uh, they've subsubsequently... Um, lost Nassim Shah, which seems to be a, a pretty big uh, blow. But it's been 30 years previewing World Cups for me, and I'm sort of slightly tired of saying, oh, you can never write Pakistan off. But here I am saying it again. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think actually this time they are, I think there's sort of the tag that everyone uses for Pakistan is mercurial or unpredictable, isn't it? I think maybe this time slightly less so. If you look at the 
the batting, I think, you know, we know what a class player Babarazm is, but the players around them generally as well are sort of more, slightly less explosive, I suppose. And if you would compare them to an England, they may be less likely to to have a, a horrible collapse and get bowled out very cheaply, but um, probably less likely to get to 400 either. Yeah, looking through Pakistan, I think one of the one of the concerns for them was Shadab Khan had a pretty bad Asia Cup, and I think or, or by his standards at least, and I think I really like him. I think he's a fantastic leg spin all rounder. He gives it a real whack in the middle overs or at the death, and um, obviously a wicket taker as well. But hasn't really been in much form of late. And I think um, you know, yeah, again for all we associate in the pitches with with spin, there's some short boundaries over here which can often. Um, I mean, it, it, leg spin is not an easy art to perfect. It's obviously not anywhere in the world, but particularly so when you're defending a 65 meter square boundary. So I think, yeah, I think there are a few issues, and I think particularly that Nassim injury is going to it's going to test them. But um, they've gone with experience, I think, and brought Hassan Ali back in, who I like him. I think is a good sort of competitor. So yeah, I, I think Pakistan will be in the in the mix at least for the semi-finals. Is my 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 thoughts anyway. Oh, well, that's no good. I, I want your four. I, come on. In, in the mix. No, no, no. What's your final four? With a gun to my head, it would be India, England, Pakistan and Australia edging South Africa, I think. I've got I've got three of them. I've got three. I've got New Zealand with England, Pakistan and, and India. I just think New Zealand, uh, again, we watched them the other, the other night, Williamson back. I think they've got some good all-rounders. They've got a great left arm option. Southie's a little bit of a blow, but I don't think it's a massive blow. Um, I think New Zealand, and you look at you look at Pakistan's fixtures as well. They've got Holland and Sri Lanka up first, then they've got the big two of, of India and then and then Australia. And then you look at it, you think, well, if they've got to win the last two games, I'm going to get something out of the last two games to play New Zealand. Or if they do do well at the start, they've got New Zealand and England last two games of the tournament of the of the round robin stuff. And you're thinking possibly they could be the semi-finals in the semi-finals as well. So I think if Pakistan get off to a good start, I think they get to the semi-finals. Before you answer that, Matt, I want to make sure that we get another plug in um, because you've been very modest about your book, which you've co-authored with Tim Wigmore. The inside story of England's cricket, of England cricket's double world champions, white hot. So before you respond to Harmi, I just want you to answer another question. Were you tempted to delay writing the book until after this tournament in case they won three in a row? Well, the dream obviously well, manages that we go for the we go for the updated paperback edition with a fresh new chapter on 2023. That's the dream. But no, I think I think we thought that um, from speaking to players as well. I think it was such a. I think a lot of the the players that were involved in both saw it as such a big achievement and uh, maybe something that I think that T20 World Cup to some extent back in the UK maybe slipped under the radar because of the fact that it was on at slightly awkward times of the day. Um, and obviously compared to 2019, which was front and centre and on home soil, that, that felt like much more of a national event, whereas the T20 World Cup maybe felt more like a cricket-specific event that people who like cricket care about and didn't have that much cut through beyond that. Um, but I think the players very much saw it as clinching their legacy almost. Um, I think there was a, a feeling after the 2019 final that, um, for such a great team, they needed to win more than just one trophy and more than just a trophy on home soil. They needed to win somewhere else. They needed to prove that they could build on a legacy. They weren't just a team of, of great players for four years. They were they were better than that. So 
yeah, I think given the given the sense of achievement that the players had around that T20 title last year, I think particularly people like Adil Rashid, Mark Wood, speaking about the feeling that that's something that will never get taken away from them, being the first team to uh, hold both World Cups simultaneously in, in, in men's cricket at least. Yeah, I think I think that felt like a, a big enough achievement that we should go with it. But yeah, fingers crossed um, from an English point of view, at least um, they go well out here too, and, and we can we can release the updated edition in time for Christmas. <laughs> Finally, Matt, um, we talked about um, India and and South Africa not having enough all rounders. What about Australia? Just quick final word from them and their all rounders. Can you have too many? Can that create indecision? Yeah, it, it's a really sort of unusual setup. That Australia are going with. I think there's there's every chance they'll they'll go in with sort of three frontline bowlers and, and four rounders splitting twenty overs between them, which would be a very unusual setup. I think um it will be a challenge for those all rounders, particularly if they're bowling. I think it's easy to underestimate just how difficult it is bowling in that that middle phase and ODIs when there's only four fielders outside the ring, especially when people are used to having the fifth man in T20s. Having that extra fielder up inside is a big challenge, especially for you know part-time bowlers or all-rounders who, who maybe are less used to it. So I think that will be a big potential challenge. Is can can someone like Glenn Maxwell be a, a ten-over banker who's the second spinner through the World Cup? Um, they've only named Adam Zampa as a sort of frontline spinner because Ashton Agar has been ruled out. I think Australia are a decent side, but I, I also think Chavez Head is a is a massive miss. I, I know he's sort of in the squad still and might play the second half of the comp or something like that, but he's been one of the few players that's actually played quite a bit of 50 over cricket domestically since the last World Cup. Has a brilliant record in it, has, has translated that to Australia and we've obviously seen in the Ashes just how hard he hits the ball and how hard he is to stop when he gets going and if there's one weakness that he has in test cricket is the short ball which probably can't be challenged quite as much in one day cricket just because of the limits on on bumpers so I think he's a he's a real loss I think they'll probably come I think we're looking at a sort of six wins three losses type record in my opinion for Australia but it, and again to talk about venues I think they, they're a team that can't afford a slow start because they play their first games in I think uh, Chennai and then two in Lucknow or maybe vice versa which are the two grounds I would probably associate from IPL as being the, the most challenging, the most favourable for spin. So if they come out of that with one win of, out of their first three games, it's a really tough ask to get through to the, to the semis from there. So they, they can't really afford to uh, to start slowly. And Matt, just finally, if I asked you one question, what would this World Cup be remembered for? What do you think it's going to be? Great question. Uh, I hope it's for the atmosphere at India-Pakistan in a couple of weeks' time. I'm not actually going to that game and I'm very jealous of my colleagues who are. Um, but I think that will be a pretty extraordinary spectacle in front of 120,000 people. That was Matt Roller, assistant editor um, at ESPN Crick Info in Ahmedabad. And uh, we thank him for his time. He's always great value, as is the book. So uh, buy it for Christmas if not before. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And next up, we'll continue building up to the start of this year's Cricket World Cup, discuss a few more teams. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we look ahead to the start of the Cricket World Cup this week. Let's talk again about Australia there. Um, it was it was amusing, Harmy, listening to Matt Roller saying that he's got Australia just sneaking in to the fourth semi-final berth. And then he went into a bit more detail about their itinerary. He made it sound extremely difficult for them. They only have the one specialist spinner, of course, and Travis Head, has gone to the World Cup, you know, with a broken hand, and they're hoping he'll be fit after the maybe three or four games, uh, which is a risk in itself. So, a quick word about Australia from you. There's a few playing their last World Cup for sure, aren't there? David Warner, Josh Hazelwood, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, maybe a few others. Yeah, they're all a bit like England. They're an age, um, more of an experienced side who have done a couple of World Cup cycles. The one thing I think that pushed me out of having Australia in the top top four was that spinner, that second spinner that I think they're probably going to need, especially when they, they play two or three games in Chennai. That, for me, is the, the the where they are just a little bit short. I think Adam Zampa, leg spinner, uh, Matt earlier early alluded to earlier about how difficult it's going to be to bowl, possibly bowl leg spin. And this whole part-time bowl of, it's more than part-time bowl of Maxwell, because Maxwell is a competent spin bowler, but you just look at that side and you when you put it down 1-11, they've got some excellent all-rounders, but unfortunately, I think they're one spinner short, a top spinner short for me for qualifying for the top four. I think batting-wise, they've got players who have played a lot of cricket in India. They've got some very, very good all-rounders that balance the side out very, very well. Pat Cummins' captaincy, will that be challenged in one-day cricket in the heat of not only of the heat of the atmosphere, but the heat of the battle of when potentially things have, when pressure's on. We've seen that sometimes he didn't handle that pressure very well during the Ashes. So I think all in all, for me, they just miss out my top four, largely down to the fact that that one spinner, I think Ashton Agar possibly will prove uh, trying to replace him would have been uh, just that little bit, that just keeps him just out of that top four for me. But it is an all-round, well-balanced, decent side, but locations they're playing in, I think they could have done with a slower, uh, one more swim bowler. Let's move uh, on to uh, the other Australasian team, New Zealand, perennial semi-finalists. And once again, if you judge a squad by the quality of players left out of it, then this New Zealand squad is the strongest that that country has ever produced. I mean, they got no place for Kyle Jameson and, and a few others really, really top cricketers who couldn't get into their team. They're also taking Kane Williamson, of course, who's um, 
made an excellent unbeaten 59 in uh, the warm-up game against Pakistan as they coasted to uh, a target of 350, whatever you want to read into warm-up games. This was uh, what Williamson had to tell us on the Cricket Collective a couple of weeks ago. I mean, adapting to those, it's a bit cliche, but but that is a big part of it. But also, as we've seen, uh, certainly in all the World Cups that I've been involved in and, and watched the the changing conditions over a long period and, and how you need to be reasonably fluid with that as a team and, and, and really connect as a group. You know, sometimes, well, it's becoming more and more of a, a challenge, I suppose, where players that are playing all around the world and they sort of come together as a group quite quickly before series or, or events and um, really getting nice and clear on, on all the roles that are important to, to us as a team and, and what gives us the best chance and, and our recipe and, uh, and then playing what's in front of us. But, yeah, I mean, we, we just know that there are no promises. You know, you, you sort of do all the prep, um, you try and get nice and clear, and, and then you go in and, and try and just adjust to what's in front of you in the moment because things change and they change quickly and, uh, and tournaments kind of pass you by quite quickly. So, yeah, we want to be nice and clear going into it uh, and, and, base, and look forward to it. You know, these things are to be enjoyed. And um, I reflect on the ones I've been in and we had a lot of fun, you know, and, we're doing something we love and in parts of the world that, you know, there's so much to, to enjoy there. So, you know, as a team, we, we want to really look forward to, to the occasion and, and the challenge that lies ahead. What would it mean to the people in New Zealand if you could go that one step further and actually win this 50 over World Cup? It'd be great, wouldn't it? You know, everybody wants to win it. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, the focus for us as a team is, is what's in front of us each day. And, you know, in terms of the supporters, I'm sure they'll be right behind us and, and uh, wanting to see a few more good days than the other. But, um, you know, it's always a journey, these these events. Um, they're always hard fought. Anybody can beat anybody, which makes it, you know, really exciting prospect. So no doubt, you know, we're looking forward to, to the challenge and, you know, it'll be a great event. Well, I have to say that um, the little bits of um, footage that I saw of him batting, he, he was running fine and um, looks certainly fit, but it was announced a week ago that he wouldn't, or six days ago, that he wouldn't play in the opening game against England. But, uh, you know, they managed his recovery extraordinarily well. And when you look at that squad of 15, I mean, there, there are a couple of contentious decisions. Um, Will Young to open, but um, he he's, you know, he's a quality, quality cricketer. A year ago, Rachin Ravindra was a batter who bowled some occasional left arm spin. But, you know, he's been picked for his spin and um, and he actually looked quite useful against England. I just you don't know, though, whether how much of a job he'll be able to do in World Cup conditions. He's obviously not there to bowl 10 overs. But, yeah, I mean, it's a strong squad. It is a strong squad. I think it's a good squad. And that's why they just get into my top four, just largely down to the fact that New Zealand always do well in, in major tournaments. I think the icing on the cake is having Cairn back. Someone like Daryl Mitchell's batting really, really well. He hits the ball straight. That's the thing, the key for me in India is is that somebody that's going to short straight boundaries, I think, are, are there, are evident in India. And, and Mitchell, because of the way his wheel arc is, he hits the ball so well down the ground. So, and, and you watch Conway bat in the IPL. Seen Conway bat for Chennai Super Kings in the IPL, and he had a, he had a wonderful tournament last season. So all in all, I, I think they've got a very, very good workman-like side, coupled with the fact that they've got, you know, one of the, the best left-arm options in the uh, in the tournament. And, you know, we've got, we were actually quite blessed with it this year. We've got the likes of, you know, Mitchell Stark, Shaheen Chahar, Freedy and Trent Bolt all playing in the tournament. 
So I, I think they've got a, a, a good side. They can play the extra seamer if need be. It's doing a bit. You know, and looking at they've got the pace of Lockie Fer- Ferguson and Matt Henry. Um, but you're right, Rajin Ravinder for me. We we had him on Talksport too when when New Zealand played Pakistan and he batted at number seven. He was called an opening batter who bowled a little bit of spin. He bowled really well in that tournament. And I remember having a, a, a talking to Goffey during that time and saying, "Look, Matt, this kid would be a, an, an unbelievable sort of left field pick for an overseas player because he covers a lot of bases." Um, and then he went and played for Durham for one game and got a double hundred. So the boy's got some talent. Um, and I think he could just be that that sort of all rounder, make up six bowler that could bowl four or five overs to take the pressure off the bowling unit if and when needed. So. You know, for me, New Zealand, again, will be strong. And I think they will just pip South Africa into that uh, and Australia into that, that fourth spade spot. And finally, Hami, in this section, um, because we've uh, unfortunately omitted them from part four when we round up the other contenders, but Afghanistan are going to be the only team who will rely on spin. They will play three frontline spinners, if not four and if they get the rub of the green and, you know, we know a lot of those Indian pitches can be easily mani- and effectively manipulated to favour either seamers or, or spinners. If they're left dry and underprepared, they turn sideways. Can you see Afghanistan winning a couple of games? Can you see them at any point, people talking about them making a top four finish? Bearing in mind, Kenya made the semifinals in 2003. Again, there's always somebody that comes out of it. Ireland beat England. You know, the Netherlands did really well um, in in a, in a tournament. Yeah, you mentioned the Kenya in 2003. I just say no. <clears throat> I don't see any of the what you'd say the less fashionable sides. I don't see Holland. I don't the Netherlands. I don't see Sri Lanka. I don't see uh, Afghanistan. Largely down to the fact I don't think they'll score runs. I think this this tournament manners will be about runs. I think Afghanistan have got a fine bowling unit. And I think they've got a pressurised bowling unit. And what I mean by a pressurised bowling unit, if they go and get 300, they've got a great chance of squeezing. You've got When you've got a lot of spinners on and you've got the surface that you want, if you get runs on the board, you can squeeze teams and you can make it very, very difficult. You can get through overs quickly and put pressure on just by fast-forwarding the game. Unfortunately, I don't see these guys getting enough runs, either of the, the sort of the lesser fashionable sides, getting enough runs to compete. Because I think what we're going to see in this tournament is even when they are playing on pitches which are turning a lot, when they are playing on pitches which have been sort of doctored to, to suit either seam or spin, the quality of batting now is ridiculous. And I think because the top five or six sides have all got X-factor players, one or two, if not more X-factor players, not only do they find a way, they can brute force belt it over the boundary. And I think because of that, I think that's why the top six will be the top six fashionable sides that we all know that are going to be. I think the others will get left by the wayside, unfortunately. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we continue to build up to the start of the Cricket World Cup. All right, on to South Africa. Do you know what? I, I, I don't know whether I'm a, disagreeing with you or agreeing with you. I, I think that there will be thousands of runs on flat pitches in this tournament, um, short boundaries. And because of that, that's why I think X-factor bowlers, strike bowlers, wicket-taking mm. bowlers will make the difference. And that's why I think Enrique Norkia's loss, uh, you know, there aren't too many bowlers uh, who who bowl consistently over 90 miles an hour. He is one of them. And yes, he can be expensive, 
but he takes wickets, Harmy, and I, I think that that makes a, a huge, huge difference. Having said that, South Africa's top six is is pretty awesome. I, I, I have to say that they would be in contenders to be rated as the best top six in the tournament. And against Australia uh, two weeks ago, they scored 173 runs in the final 10 overs, a record, uh, the most ever, 17.3 runs and over. So I think that dictates, because they've only got one sort of all-rounder-ish in Marco Janssen at number seven, and then bowlers. I think they're going to have to be cautious. Quinton de Kock and Temba Bavuma like to to go after it in the in the opening power play. I don't think they can afford to, because with Rassi von Adas and Aidan Markram, uh, Heinrich Klaassen and David Miller, if they can get to the final 10 overs, around 200 with wickets in hand, that's the only blueprint they've got. That's the only one available to them, really. Yeah, and they've got a they've got a, a a good side. They have got a good side, and you, you talk about there. That's one one of the big reasons why I don't have them in my top four is that against the big big sides, we've got quick bowlers. If they do, you know, knock over that one, or you you knock over sort of Quentin, or you knock over Temba Bavuma in that first power play, then all of a sudden the game just lengthens. It lengthens too much for them because of the, the a little bit the depth of. And India could come into this boat as well. India really could. Uh, all of a sudden, you put pressure on Hartik Pandya. And that is, uh, for me, that's the game. So it, South Africa are going to have to find a way of, of of getting through 50 overs, especially in Indian conditions. But they have got, I think, they have got the tools. Nokia is massive. It is a huge, because you talked about pace before that. I think there's pace, and then there's extreme pace. And I think extreme pace will make a difference in this tournament. Mark Wood for England will make a massive difference. Mitchell Stark, pace through the air, will make a huge difference. If Lockie Ferguson plays, bang, quick bowler, he could make a difference in them in their middle uh, middle overs. And that Nokia, a bit like the Australian not having that second frontline spinner, I think that puts a lot of pressure on Kagisa Rabada. So we've seen so many times in the in the IPL when Nokia, I, I don't really care if he was expensive for the Delhi Capitals. He blow that sort of 15th, 16th over where you get two wickets, game finished, game gone. So for me, South Africa have got a good side. I just don't see how they come up against the big guns and potentially get 300, 320. If they were to play against you know, one of the big sides, with the, the quality bowling attack and play them on a surface which is a, a more workmanlike surface, then I think that might suit South Africa because then it's not a 320, 350 and we've got to chase that. If it's a 280, then they can do what you've just said. They can take the time, get themselves in a position and know they've got the power at the bottom end with, uh, with wickets in hand. So I think South Africa's game plan, you're right, would be the one that gets them into the top four if they get there. But unfortunately, if they get into the top four, I think them knockout games, I think that that's where I think they might just come up a little bit short. Very quickly, put your football hat on. In football terms, in Premier League terms, I think South Africa are the kind of team that can win 7-0 one week uh, against the top of the table team and then lose 2-0 the following week to a bottom of the table team. Who would that be? I think it would be Afghanistan. The spin might be the one that, could cause South Africa a lot of problems if you're talking about the the sort of the, the lesser fashionable side. But then they could go and beat India. South Africa are a team that I don't think many people are talking about, but boy, will they give the big guns a fright on their day. 
but I can also see them losing it to a, a Sri Lanka on a turn and pitch, or yeah. Afghanistan on a turn and pitch. And I think that might be just why they might come up a little bit short. If not, I think whoever gets them in the semi-final will fancy this, fancy this, fancy their chances against Africa. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think South Africa are going to win some games embarrassingly easily and lose some <laughs> by, <laughs> by similar margins. Okay, time now to focus on the Sri Lankan team. And Chris Silverwood will be um, preparing to take charge in his first World Cup, uh, so ahead of the tournament. Co-host of the Murali pod, Mark Mercado, has been taking a look at the three biggest talking points for the Sri Lankans. Three talking points for Sri Lanka going into the World Cup. The biggest thing Sri Lanka fans are talking at the moment is probably the lack of Hasaranga and Shamira, our two best bowlers. Um, yet another ITC tournament where Shamira hasn't made it and Hasaranga pulled up a hamstring and the the semi-final of the LPL. It's a total disaster for, for Sri Lanka that he won't be playing. This should have been his kind of breakout 50-over moment. Um, he might be fit. Hasaranga might make it through later in the... Uh, later in the tournament, uh, depending on on the on his hamstring, uh, the second big thing we're talking about is the captaincy. Dustin Sharnaka, Sri Lanka have a tendency to to change the captaincy quite frequently in the last decade or so, and there was a, a lot of speculation before the team was announced. The, the final squad was announced uh, only a week ago. Uh, if Sri Lanka might change the captaincy, um, Hasaranga was one of those people who might have been the captain. They took off Sharnaka. Hasaranga didn't make it. Maybe Dustin Sharnaka got a little bit lucky. But he needs a little bit more luck, I think, to kind of cement his place because he's meant to be our big hitter, the kind of finisher. And he hasn't been doing that in recent months. Which brings us on to the third talking point, which is the batting. Sri Lanka's batting is just not on par with the with the teams that are going to be challenging the, the, the business end of the tournament. Our bowling's pretty good. You know, even missing our two best bowlers, we've still got... A lot of mystery spinning there. We've got some decent paces as well. The batting needs to step up. And there's a lot of youngsters who've come in and been around the team for a few years now. If two or three of them can have a kind of breakout tournament, find some form, then maybe, just maybe, Sri Lanka might make the top four. That was co-host of the Murali pod, Mark Mercado, uh, running the rule over Sri Lanka's hopes. And let's finish then on the Netherlands. We had a lovely chat to Logan van Beek uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he, he's absolutely adamant that uh, the Netherlands are going to the World Cup to qualify for the semi-finals. Let's remind ourselves of what he said. We've got the goal of, of, of reaching the semi-finals. That's, that's clear-cut. Ryan Cook said it. It's, it's repeated, uh, repeated in our group chats. Uh, when we go to trainings, it's spoken about a lot. Like we're not, we're not just going to the World Cup to make up be the 10th team. We're going to the World Cup to make the semi-finals and you know in order to make the semi-finals we do need to upset a few teams and so the beauty about cricket is is that on the given day it's 11 blokes against 11 blokes and it just takes you know one or two, two guys to have a good day out and you know anything can happen but I think what the qualifiers did do was it, re- it confirmed to us that we can compete at the highest level and you know we're we we are going to treat every game and we're going to prepare. You know, Ryan Cook does a, a wonderful job in terms of preparation, in terms of the plans that he has, the time he puts into the scouting and, and um, the themes around some of our games so that when we when we get to the morning of the game, you look around and go, yeah, 
everyone's ready to go. We're prepared. And, you know, there's going to be moments in this World Cup that's going to be tough. It's for sure. You know, that's that's the reality of it. You know, there's going to be situations and games that it's, you know, you're going to be in front of the whole world and I might be none for 70 off seven overs and I've still got to bowl my last three overs and, you know, they're two down for 280 or whatever it is. But I'm going to smile in that moment knowing that I'm in that moment rather than at home watching it on TV. And I far rather fail in that moment than not be there there at all. So I think that's the attitude that we're going to have as, as players as well, that we're going to be grateful that we're in those situations and not be embarrassed or not be gutted to be there. We were actually, we were actually earned the right to be there. That was Logan van Beek talking to us about uh, the Netherlands' brilliant uh, qualification for this tournament. He, he sounds serious and genuine about uh, qualifying for the semi-finals but I think for the rest of us we're just looking forward to seeing some exciting cricket the boys in orange the 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 traveling support and um, there will be those who are still sad and shocked that the West Indies didn't get there but um, I hand on heart army I'll be honest I just hope the Netherlands aren't embarrassed and I know they won't I'm not I know that they're good enough to compete and give a good showing for themselves and I've got the greatest of respect for the coaching staff but I think there's a hiding or two waiting for them yeah unfortunately I think there is um I agree with that I think what what I'm finding is that the level of cricket now is just getting getting split even further and further and further the big guns are getting bigger and better and I think Unfortunately for the sort of less fashionable sides, it's, it's becoming very, very difficult to hang on to the coattails. Where before there was less, less franchise cricket, less power play cricket, less sixes and fours hit. So the tournaments were a lot, I think they were a lot closer because the scores weren't as, as big. But unfortunately, as as well as the Netherlands have done, and I'm so pleased. I just hope they don't get too many hidings because. I want to see more teams in the tournament. I'd like to see two groups. I'd like to see Ireland in there fighting for it as well, From the, obviously from, from a regional point of view where we are. We need the West Indies back to play 50-over cricket in there, 14, 16 teams where you're not playing nine games, nine different venues like England are. But that for that to happen, I think the likes of Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, and the Netherlands have to turn up in this tournament. They have to play well, even if they don't qualify or even... You know, win loads and loads of games. We don't need hidings because if we get, if if all of a sudden the sort of the sides get belted every now and again, off India, or off England, there'll be a lot of clamour to reduce the competition even more. And that for me is something I wouldn't like to see because it's a World Cup. It's not a, a private man's club with six teams. It's a World Cup, and I think what we need is we need the Netherlands to turn up and hopefully they can have a great account of themselves because they did brilliant to get here. But to compete, like Logan says, unfortunately, I just think them that have are hitting it further. And them that haven't, unfortunately, might get in the way. Bangladesh, we haven't mentioned them much. You just mentioned them there. What are you thinking? Played nine, lost seven, one, two, that that kind of thing. I mean, uh, Alan Donald's their fast bowling coach and, and their fast bowlers have come on quite a bit in the last uh, year or so, but not contenders for a top four. No, not contenders for the top four, but I think out of Sri Lanka, the Netherlands, Bangladesh, I think Bangladesh will be the ones that will probably feature the the best because of England in in Indian conditions, and a lot ha- a lot goes on 
and Shakib Balasan. You know, for, for me, they've got one of the best all-round cricketers in world cricket um, because that guy, for me, is one of the very best you know, competitors. Um, he doesn't look the best batter in the world, doesn't look the best bowler in the world, but boy, when he's in a battle, um, Shakib Halasan turns up and he's a fighter. And for me, I think he is probably the reason why they might finish sort of sixth or seventh. But to compete for the top four, I think they'll, all the Minnows will struggle. Time for the final word this week, Harmi. And I'm going to move away from the World Cup to a cup of a different nature. And it's the um, Asian T20 Women's World Cup has just taken place. Mm. And um, what do you know about Mongolia? Not that much, to be honest. That well, much. the Mongolian women um, are played in that uh, Asian T20 Cup and um, they got bowled out for 15 and 22 by the cricketing powerhouses of Indonesia and Hong Kong to lose by 172 runs and 180 runs. I'm all for the ICC spreading the game. I'd, I'd educate the game before I'd spread it, unfortunately. <laughs> and I'm trying to be as I'm trying to be as diplomatic and as and as kind as I possibly can to the Mongolian women's cricket team. But I think I'd want to educate it before I threw them in the deep end. Indeed, so well, um, we're going to miss uh, the mayhem at the beginning of the World Cup, but uh, we're both heading out there, so um, there'll be at least uh, four or five editions of the Cricket Collective coming to you from India. Um, but um, for the next couple of weeks, we'll be back at a similar time from base camp, but uh, we'll be heading out there. Uh, looking forward to that very, very much, and also looking forward to watching the start of the World Cup from uh, the safety of uh, the studio or home. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, as always. Uh, available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, We'll be back, as I said, every Monday throughout the tournament. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective preview show on TalkSport 2. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.